Welcome to episode 86 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Why, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, (laughs) if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends, I'm about to tell you how to get an exclusive discount on one of my favorite products for truly upgrading your health on a cellular level. So the new year is upon us and it's often a time where people are really trying to instill new habits and really upgrade their health. There's something I have been using for years, not just at the new year, Literally every single day of my life, I am not making that up. Even when I travel, I have a way to address it then, which I will tell you about. And it's something that is so easy and feels amazing. That is red light and near infrared therapy. Okay, so friends, you could go somewhere and pay a lot of money to do red light near infrared therapy sessions, or you could just bring it to your home and use it every single day. That's what I do. I've been using Juve red and near infrared light therapy devices for so long. There are so many clinically proven benefits of red light therapy that includes improving your skin. Yes, you really will notice it. Faster muscle recovery, reduced pain and inflammation, enhanced sleep, and so much more. I use it in the morning and evening as ambient light because it actually mimics the setting and rising sun. And then I sort of run it throughout the day as well to help combat all of the blue light that we're exposed to, which can have a negative effect on our health. Whenever I have muscle pain, I shine Juve on the muscle. For me, it has made the pain go away instantly. And then for chronic pain, when I do continued sessions, it's made it dissipate. One of my good friends who is a doctor uses these devices on his, shall we say, manhood for benefits there. Yes, it can help in that department as well. I honestly could not imagine my life without Juve. You will just feel so good using these devices. People also post all the time in our Facebook group of their pets gravitating towards the Juve because intuitively they just know that it's good for them. The reason Juve can address so many things related to health is because it actually affects our cells on the mitochondrial level. Basically, it makes those cells perform better. And when those cells are performing better, everything just works better. That's why, yes, Juve can help with your energy as well. I've been recommending Juve specifically for years because the quality of their devices are the best. Their modular design allows for a variety of setup options to give you flexibility. The treatments are so easy. You can do them in as little as 10 minutes, or you can be using it all throughout the day like I do. All you have to do is relax and let your body take in the light. They also have their Juve Go, which you can travel with. Yes, that is how I really do use this every single day. That Go is also great for targeting specific areas of your body, like hurting joints or sore muscles. Honestly, friends, health doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be complicated 
complicated. If you're looking to enhance your health and wellness this new year, start with what matters, which is your cells. And Juve has an amazing offer just for our audience. You can go to juve.com slash IF podcast and use the coupon code IF podcast to get a discount on your qualifying order. Again, that's J O O V V dot com forward slash IF podcast to get an exclusive discount on your order. Pick up a Juve today. Some exclusions apply. I really hope you guys can experience Juve. It really is one of my favorite things. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. All right, now back to the show. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumer consumers from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 86 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen? I am doing great. How are you doing? I'm good. 
That's good. I finished another audiobook that was very good. What was this one? Have you heard of Atomic Habits? I have not. It's really good. It's really good. <laughs> um, it's came out pretty recently and it has so many had so many reviews on Amazon, but it's all about it, like how habits work in the brain and how to break right. bad habits, start good habits, but he goes into so many details about not only just the science of how our brain breaks and forms habits, but also like the like the mindset aspect of it and how it relates right. to your personality and how that's really important and how like habits should be more about like identity rather than the habits. So like rather than wanting to start, I'm going to eat healthy, it's more about I'm a healthy person, like reframing your mind. Right. It was really helpful. I learned so many things. And he said one thing that reminded me of intermittent fasting, something about the fact that people who appear to have a lot of self-control don't necessarily have a lot of self-control. They just structure their lives so that their life doesn't require as much self-control. Like they've like hacked the system to make it so that they're not tempted, you know, by problems. (laughs) Well, kind of like, you know, if if you know there's a food, you cannot control yourself from overeating, don't have that in your house. Yeah, exactly. Or I was thinking like with intermittent fasting, it structures your eating pattern so that right. you don't have to make decisions all day. Right. So <laughs> you're not taxing your self-control. I was like, that makes so much sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I really recommend that book for listeners. So I'll put a link to that book in the show notes. It was Atomic Habits by James Clear. Well, so first of all, if you go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 86, that's where we put links to everything that we talk about on the show, and I'll put a link to it there. You can also go to ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like. That's where we have all of the stuff that we like, and um, I'll add it there to the book section. So, yep, anything new in your world? Well, I've got a couple things going on. First of all, the new podcast is going very well. So for listeners, that's Intermittent Fasting Stories. Check that out. You can find it on any podcast app and also at the website, intermittentfastingstories.com. You can find the show notes there, and you can also listen right on the website. So people are really enjoying the new podcast. It's exciting. It really is. I'm, I'm enjoying doing it too. You're such a podcaster um, now. Well, yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's crazy. I also have started doing something new. You know how I make homemade bread every day? Yes. I am I am now milling my own wheat. Oh. So I'm 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 grinding meat and you're milling grinding wheat. Grinding wheat. There you go. That's so funny. Yeah. I um I had a wheat mill and I got it like years and years and years ago because I read about how much better it was for you. This is probably when I was doing some diet at some point. I mean, probably 10 years ago. So I pulled that wheat mill back out and um, it was not functioning as well as it used to. Flour went all over my kitchen, but I got a new one. <laughs> and so I've started milling wheat and it is just, it's amazing. You know, white bread, a lot of people have, you know, quite problems with, with bread or wheat. I really think it has to do with the way that it's so refined. You know, I've been doing a lot of reading about wheat now that I've gotten back into this habit. And, well, I just started. It will become a habit, I hope. But now that I've started, you know, milling the wheat, all the good stuff is taken out. And the only part that's left, like, has is the part without the nutritional value. Like, all the vitamins and the minerals and the good stuff are removed. I'm like, why do we do that? I can get behind that argument partly. Like, I do think that's a huge problem with it. But then you could apply the same argument to, like, white rice, for example. 
and people oh, yeah, don't absolutely but, but people don't seem to have as many problems with white rice as they do with you know white flour well it's a different thing it's in a different form it's it's flour is smaller i don't know all it's either i don't know i mean i'm just saying like either way it's a, but no i do think it's definitely a problem i also think um a huge problem has to do with the modern wheat in america specifically and how it's been engineered well and i think yeah i think the way that we that we treat it and grow it and yes a lot of people report i've heard this um frequently they don't have problems with wheat in europe but they do in america so I do think there's something to, to go along with that. But anyway, I'm having a lot of fun with my my wheat milling. <laughs> do you like the the mill that you ended up the miller? Is it a miller? I do. <laughs> What's it I called? do. Well, it's a, a miller is a person. I am a miller. <laughs> no, the mill I, I ended up with is is a good one. I was thinking I could put I could put links because I really like the grinder that I ended up getting for meat. Because I, I actually originally bought like an electrical grinder for meat because I was like, I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to do this right. I'm going to get the electrical one. That was such a hassle and like complicated and hard to clean and take apart and heavy. And I ended up getting this just manual grinder and it's so wonderful and cheap. So um, I'll put links to my meat grinder and Jen's wheat. Yes. I, I got one called the Wonder Mill. That's what it was. Here's the thing though. Um, I bought it from a third-party company. Not I didn't buy it on Amazon. You know, we buy so many things on Amazon, but all the thing, all the ones that I could find on Amazon, I just I wasn't confident about who they were coming from. So I bought them from a, a company called Bread Beckers. And so anybody who's interested in in learning about milling wheat and baking with your own um, freshly milled wheat, and you know what bread machine to get and how to do it. The website is called breadbeckers.com. They're actually local to Atlanta, which is, you know, a few hours away from me. But they have a website I ordered from them. And, um, you know, you're getting, I mean, they're going to give you great customer support. For example, I mean, we are not sponsored by Breadbeckers. They don't even know who I am. But <laughs> when I, I don't think I would ever let us be sponsored by a bread company. I would totally <laughs> let them sponsor my new podcast. Yes. <laughs> but um, I, when I was ordering the, the mill, I ordered a lid for the, um, for the container that holds the flour. And they actually called me on the phone the next day. I ordered it online. They called me and said, um, hey, you ordered an extra lid. I mean, it was only $6. They're like, do you really want that? Because it comes with a lid already. And I was like, oh, no, I, I didn't want an extra lid. Thank you. So they took that off my order. And I mean, how many companies would, would call you over an internet order to ask you if you really meant to order that extra piece? So they're a great, they're, I think they're a family-run company. And um, I would definitely recommend going to their website. I've actually ordered her book on Amazon. She has a book about um, different things you can bake with the freshly milled wheat. Awesome. So for listeners, again, if you go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 86, we'll put links to all of the things yes. that we just talked about. And no, people, you do not have to start milling your own grain. I'm sorry. <laughs> or grinding your own meat. You don't. But I don't know. I just uh, the, the problem is with the, the whole wheat that you buy in the store, the nutrients start to degrade over time. And so the, the freshly milled wheat is just at the peak of, you know, nutrient. availability I guess you know the enzymes are still there so yeah I started doing the meat grinding because I could um because I really like like ground beef but it's 
I feel like it's not as you wanted to know what was going into it, right? No, exactly right. You don't know like how many different animals it's coming from. Like I'd like to go pick out my actual cut that I really want and I can get it's way cheaper. Like I can get the nicer meat yeah. at like Whole Foods so I can get like the grass-fed organic. And if especially if it's like if it's like a cut that most people don't eat right. as much, um it's cheaper but it's still like the the pastured organic, you know, everything that I want and then I just can just grind it myself and then it's my perfect my perfect grind, ground perfect. meat. Yeah. Of course, I'm crazy and I eat it like tartar style. Well, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's probably, you know, better because from what I've heard about ground beef, you don't want to eat ground beef um, raw because it, it, the way it's – you don't know what's all in there. Right. And all the surface, it's been contaminated. But if you do it yourself fresh, right. you you know exactly, exactly you know. Yeah. So I actually – yes, I do eat raw beef ground. But – um. Hmm. Not to come off as super weird, but I feel okay about it. <laughs> well, I like a good medium rare cheeseburger, so and, and that's probably way worse because it came from ground up meat. So <laughs> that's true. People ordering like a rare, you know, burger oh, yeah. or yeah, medium rare burger. Yeah. That's true. Okay, I feel yeah. better. I think it's funny that like if you, it's like if you cook it just a tiny bit, it loses the gross factor for a lot of people. Right. You know, like you could order like a rare steak and it's okay. But if it was completely raw for some reason. Well, I've had, I've had steak tartare before. I mean, you have that in a fine restaurant, so. Exactly. You're, you're like, you're a home chef with steak tartare. All right. Shall we jump into everything for today? Yes. And we'll, we're starting today with a listener tip from Ed. And the subject is. FYI, so no insulin spike, how to block your sugar cravings with chemistry. Yeah, and before you before you read this, Jen, it's funny, this email, it, I don't know, it sounds like a commercial for something, but it, it's not. It's just Ed sharing some information that he found, so let's read right. it. So Ed says, clearly sugar is not great for us, but it's so delicious. And as anyone who's ever sat down to eat one Twizzler and accidentally polish off the bag, i.e., everyone can tell you once you start it can be hard to stop if only there was something to interrupt the deadly and delicious cycle one way people have been derailing the sugar train throughout the years is by consuming gymnema now listeners i don't know if that's how you say it i have no idea how to say it so if it's really another way i'm sorry but it looks like gymnema it's g y m N-E-M-A. It's not something I've heard of before. So gymnema, a woody vine that grows in the tropics of India, Africa, and Australia. Its bitter compounds have been used for centuries in traditions like Ayurveda to control sugar cravings and treat diabetes. There's even evidence of the herb in use 2,000 years ago in the treatment of, quote, honey urine, a poetic and archaic term for diabetes. And so I just realized... (laughs) I had a hunch. I um just Googled. Is this copied and pasted? Yeah. Yeah, I this is so this is information copied and pasted from a blog post by Melissa Meinzer, How to Block Your Sugar Cravings with Chemistry. Um, but I do want to bring this up because we do often get questions about sugar cravings and things like that, especially during fasting or also during eating. A lot of people feel like they have to have, you know, a dessert or they have to have fruit. Um and I don't know why I don't bring up this herb more often because I am very familiar with it. It's in my it's in my cabinet. I've used it before in different forms and it's very effective. You can take it like as a supplement and it will kind of calm your sugar cravings. Also, it has anti-candida effects. So if you're struggling with like yeast overgrowth, it can work for that. But it also 
if you put it literally on your tongue, so they'll they'll make liquid versions of it, and it I don't there's some compound in it that act that reacts with this the um the taste buds on your tongue, so things don't taste sweet anymore. It's like gym, literally gymnemic acid. I I looked it up. That's what it is. Gymnemic acid actually suppresses sweetness on your tongue. It's kind of weird, and something it can it can do, regardless of sugar cravings aside, but. It can really make you realize how much of a craving is not even about the taste because I'll find my – I remember when I first used it, I would I put it like in my mouth and things that weren't sweet didn't taste sweet anymore and didn't taste good, like fruit, for example. But I still wanted the fruit even though it didn't even taste good. And it made me kind of sad. I was like, oh, this doesn't taste like happy. But I still wanted the fruit. Right. Makes you really realize – the mental process that's going on, that it's not even about the um, the sweetness. That's interesting. Which reminded me of something that he discussed in that Atomic Habit books. In that, in that Atomic Habit book, um, have you heard this before, Jen? When they take away the dopamine neurotransmitter in rats, which dopamine is the um, the chemical that basically drives you towards getting a reward. So it's what it's what makes you want to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, when they take that away from rats, rats lose their desire to engage in things that would like bring them pleasure. So like eating sweets, for example, they don't pursue it. Um, but the weird thing is, so rats with no dopamine, even if they are like having sweets that they like, it'll light up the pleasure centers in their brain. But there's no addictive behavior associated. That's fascinating. So it's like just the dopamine that makes things addictive. Yeah. So it's like the the drive to want something. It's not even the actual thing that we want is, is the point. It's what's happening in your brain. It's the reward. It's the idea of a reward. Yeah. Yeah. It's not even the reward. It's so crazy. He talks about that in the book. One way you can kind of experience that is if you – you might realize that when you try this supplement. Well, I read more about what it what it does. Um, besides blocking the sugar receptors on your taste buds, they also did a study where um, the people who used it that were given the extract, they um, it blocked the receptors in their intestines as well, and so sugar absorption was lowered. They didn't absorb as much of the sugar from their meal, and I thought that was fascinating. And so their their blood sugar levels were lower. Very interesting there. Now, I do want to mention, um, he mentioned something about, in his question in the subject line, something about insulin. And unfortunately, um, I read that gymnema may stimulate insulin production in your pancreas. So if you're working to lower your insulin levels, like if you're somebody who suspects you're insulin resistant and you're having trouble losing weight and you think, well, then I'm just going to take a bunch of, you know, the supplement here well, what you really don't want to have happen is you don't want to stimulate more insulin production because the problem with insulin resistance is that you have too much insulin already. So in the short term, it may appear to be lowering your blood sugar and you think that's a great thing, but the reason it's lowering your blood sugar is because it's stimulating your body to produce more insulin, which is is not what you want to have happen if you're insulin resistant. So that was just a negative that, I mean, the article made it sound like that was a great thing, 
But we know the standard of care, you know, for a type 2 diabetic is to give them more and more and more insulin to lower the blood sugar because as Dr. Jason Fung explains in the Diabetes Code, that's just what what doctors have been trained to do. We want to lower the blood glucose. But if you're insulin resistant, what you don't want is to have more and more and more insulin because that doesn't help. If you're curious about that, read the Diabetes Code. I finally read it, and it is just fascinating. It's, you'll you'll understand diabetes more, insulin resistance more, and why we want to keep insulin down. Yeah, I think that's a really good thing to point out, and that's something I'm always researching with the different the different things that are used to manage blood sugar or calm sugar cravings. Looking at the mechanism, so is it is it stopping your sugar craving because it's, you know, providing a sweet taste but not spiking insulin or is it helping with sugar cravings because it's actually producing more, right. you know, more insulin and lowering your sugar levels right. that way. Right. So there are a lot of different mechanisms that can be used. Like cinnamon, for example, I don't remember its mechanism of action. Do you know? I don't know either. I'll look it up and report back because I know that's one of the ones people use a lot to help with um, – like insulin right. levels, but I don't remember if it's because it produces, you know, if it stops insulin or if it produces more insulin, which ironically both could be used to manage blood sugar levels by doing opposite I things. I feel like cinnamon may lower insulin. I don't know. I th- I don't know. I can't, re- I can't remember. I've looked it up before, but I can't remember now. But yeah, anything that lowers blood sugar by raising insulin, it's going to just make it appear like you're having a good result, but in the long run, it may not be a good result. So read the read the diabetes code if you're interested. I mean, it's very sciencey, but I enjoyed it. I'm not sure I would have gotten as much out of it a few years ago because I don't know if I was scientifically ready to understand it all. But it, it's a good book. For listeners, I'll put links in the show notes to diabetes code. Also, I'll put links to the brands of Jim. What what, what have we decided? Jimnema Silvis. Oh, I don't know. It looks like it looks like Jimnema. I'm just going phonetic here. Sorry. It looks like Jimnema, and if it's not, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I'll put links to the the brands that I've used for that as well. All right. Shall we jump into the questions for today? Yes. All right. So to start things off, we have a question from Brianne, and the subject is coffee during eating window. This is a short and sweet question, and the question is, can I drink coffee any way I like during my eating window period, or should I stick to black coffee? Simple question, but I feel like sometimes we don't address like the really, really basic things because we just assume people will know the answer, but Jen, so what is the answer? Brianne, you can have your coffee any way you like it during your eating window. That is truly your choice. It is totally up to you. But listen, I'm going to tell you something that is really funny. And um, I wouldn't have believed it if you did told me this several years ago. I will not drink coffee any other way other than black now because I don't like it. <laughs> I don't, I really don't like it. I um, was traveling across the country in June and I opened my window on a plane. They had like, you know, snacks and stuff. And I had like a little cheese and fruit platter that they had on the plane to open my window. And then they came back around with a beverage service. And, you know, since I was going across the country, I knew I'd be up late because I was traveling to the West Coast. So I was like, you know, I don't normally drink coffee in the afternoon because it keeps me awake, but I, I need to stay awake because we're, we're changing time zones. So I'm going to drink coffee and I'm going to put cream and sugar in it because I can. And, you know, that's how I used to really like it. So I, I got a coffee with cream and sugar and I doctored it up. And I could not stand it. I was like, this is really not good at all. This is gross. And I asked the um, the flight attendant 
for some black coffee. And I drank that instead. Yeah. So, Brianne, you may find that <laughs> you can, but eventually you may not want to. It's so funny. We've had this conversation before, but I'm in awe of, of the fact that I feel like, you, yeah, you no, you no longer like, you know, those things. Right. Whereas for me, it's like I, tr- I truly love the things I eat now, which I would not have loved before, which is basically very plain, very simple versions of well, fish historically, <laughs> fish, meat, vegetables, fruits. Like I don't want to add anything I have no desire to, but I would still really enjoy all those other well, things. Well, here's the thing though. Would you really, you think you would really enjoy them, but have you tried it to see? Like I thought I was going to enjoy the heck out of that coffee and I didn't. Yeah, on the f- I have on the few rare occasions. Like for example, like my birthday last year, they brought out a gluten-free you know, dessert. Right. Type thing. And it was amazing tasting. And then I got terrible like heart palpitations and felt terrible. <laughs> From the sugar? Was it was it the sugar? Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm pretty sure I, I would still enjoy like anything. I'm pretty sure. Like I don't feel the need for it. Like I bet you would not like a Funfetti cupcake. Oh, you know? I would. I bet you wouldn't. Oh, I no, bet you're, I would no. I can't even describe how much. I, ch- I would like to see you eat that. And Jen, I can tell you. I don't think you'd like. No, I don't. I think your taste buds would, would be like rejecting the artificial flavors because that's what mine have done over time. They I still speak to me. Have you had any artificial flavors? Well, I had some Funfetti cake in a dream like a few months ago and it tasted amazing. Okay, well, that's not the same thing and I couldn't even taste it because it was the dream I'm sorry dream eating does not count that no it does not uh-uh. <laughs> it does no, count sorry it does not I would like to see you eat a piece of funfetti cake and, and I guarantee you would not your tongue would go gross this is something where I would bet my life on it yeah I'm 100 percent. I would love it 100 percent. I bet you wouldn't because I no no here's another example a year ago or so I started having some of the, like the simple mills the what type stuff? The Simple Mills. I don't know what that is. What is it? It's that. Um, it's a brand that's really well known in like the paleo world. But they make um, like cake and cookie mixes okay. and, and icings and stuff. But it's all gluten free yeah. and everything. But it tastes like the real deal, and it tastes really, really good. And I tried some, and it was absolutely fantastic. But I mean, that's, that's a far cry from Funfetti. No, no, no. I'm saying Funfetti is that. Plus chemicals designed to taste amazing. So Funfetti has even more going for Like, it. for example, I can no longer stand bottled salad dressing. I can taste all the chemicals. But Ugh. Jen, you're the person you historically never liked. Remember, we, you said you never liked even like sheet cakes and stuff like that growing up, right? Like, didn't you say that? I didn't like them when I was a child, but. See, I have always liked it. So there's no reason, you know, there's no, like, I've always liked it. But I used to like bottled salad dressing, and now I can't stand the taste of it, just as one example. Like, I can taste the – it tastes off to me now. Like, whenever I've tried to have a bottled salad dressing, I, I like – I keep trying to buy them, even like organic bottled salad dressing. I keep trying to buy it and throwing it away because I have – I just can't stand it. I wish we could try that experiment. I know you won't. You won't eat a Funfetti, but I would love to know. I know. Well, you know, I saw the other day they have like the gluten-free Funfetti. Yeah. It's still terrible for you, but. Would you try that for science? I don't know. I might. I would like to know. 
I'm so curious. No, I, I don't want to because I know how amazing it would taste and I know it would just send me on like a... But what if it didn't? What if it did not taste amazing? I can't even... I can't even tell you how much I know. Like I know myself. I know my body. I know what I like. And I know I would love it. Well, I mean, I can't argue with you. I, I have a hunch that you wouldn't, but I mean, we can't prove it unless you tried it. <laughs> That's the only way to know for sure. Know. But gotta remember, this is this is like my thing, and this is like coming from. And then you like you know you never re- you never liked it to begin with, so you have a different perspective. I mean, I, there were I I absolutely went through some time. I mean, I didn't eat sweets as a child. I didn't like sweets a lot, and I've never been like. If I had a choice between pizza or Funfetti, I always would have chosen the pizza. But here's an example about pizza. I've always loved pizza, and I still love high-quality pizza, but I don't like the commercial delivery pizzas anymore. They taste gross to me. Like, I can taste the – it doesn't taste the same as it used to. And that's something I've always liked. It just – I now prefer the taste of fresh real food. I, the, the thing I think I might not like as much would be anything that I conditioned myself to like. Like I had to condition myself to like Diet Coke and then I loved it. Yeah. I could see how since I didn't like it at the beginning, you know, but. um, I really think that our, our, our bodies start, they reject. If you, if you don't have these foods for a long time, I think your body is like recognizes that that's not real food anymore. That's what it's been like for me. Anyway, we'll never know unless you try it. <laughs> well, let's move on to the next question. <laughs> the subject is protein, and it is from listener Dominique. Dominique says, hi, Jen and Melanie. Like many of the IF converts, I started my weight loss with macro counting. It worked well until I had an injury and couldn't work out as much. It became hard to stay within my macros and not feel starved. Since switching to IF, I feel full and not deprived. I do fine with a four to five hour eating window and one large meal. My worry is that I'm not getting enough protein. I don't do much cardio, but I love lifting weights and I want to maintain or add muscle if possible while losing the fat. Do I need to consciously eat more protein? Thanks and love your show, Dominique. And Dominique is from Sugarland, Texas. I just love the sound of that. There's nothing more Southern than Sugarland, Texas. Except for Augusta, Georgia. No. (laughs) Although, do you consider Texas the South? Isn't it more like – I always consider it like the Midwest. What, Texas? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Texas is South. The people – it's got the same – I mean, it's not like – Actually, I just consider it Texas. Like, I consider it like its own country. (laughs) It has a very similar um, But it has the vibe, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. All right, Dominique. So, thanks so much for your question. So, protein. People – People really stress about protein. Protein obviously is a very important macronutrient and we really need it. It's vital for growth and repair and we really need it. But the good thing about protein in general is the body is very good at regulating how much protein it needs and adjusting appetite accordingly. So protein is one of the, is the macronutrient that most people should be able to eat to satiety And in theory, that should be the correct amount. And if you need more, you should be hungrier for it. Um, Also, we talked about this on the podcast with Wade Lightheart, 
and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But it's not even so much about how much protein you're taking in as how much protein your body's actually using. (laughs) So digestion is really key. So if you're optimizing protein digestion, that can be really, really important. And um, Wade didn't talk about it in great detail on that podcast, but he did on other podcasts I listened to before because he is a a vegetarian bodybuilder. And he talked about how once he addressed his digestion, he was able to eat less protein and still support ample muscle mass. So he did that through digestive enzymes and things like that, which we mentioned in the information about the company at the beginning of this show. So I'll put a link to that again in the show notes. That's ifpodcast.com slash episode 86. But so yes, so Dominique, do you need to consciously eat more protein? I think what you could do is you could you can make a conscious effort to include protein and focus on it and make sure that it is forming, you know, a good portion of your meal, making sure that it's a type that assimilates really well for you. But I don't think you need to stress about it per se. And of course, I'm not a, a bodybuilder. Um, so I'm not the perfect person to ask about this, but that is just my opinion. I would recommend that you check out the work of Ori Hoffmeckler because he has lots of books on bodybuilding and strength training and how to do that with an intermittent fasting lifestyle. And also he has recommended food choices and easily assimilated forms of protein. He actually is a fan of, um, especially for like muscle building. He likes a lot of easily assimilated forms in the form of dairy and things like that, but he has a lot of um, interesting protocols. So I'll put links to his books there as well. Um, but Jim, what are your thoughts on protein? Yeah, I think you answered it very well. Um, you know, we know that when we're fast and clean, our bodies um, experience increased autophagy during the fast, and that's a time when our body recycles protein. So, you know, the, the typical normal person has plenty of excess protein being recycled during the fast, so we don't need to worry about it. Of course, it's different if you are um, trying to add muscle, and it, I wouldn't worry about it even so, unless you're trying to, like, like be, you know, competing and, and in, you know, fitness competitions, that sort of thing. I would try it and just see how you do. If you find you're not getting the results you want, then you can, you know, make a more targeted approach to include more protein. But I've read several people say we don't need as much as we think we do. Then again, some people might need more. I think it's like really individual, you know, like it, I, it, I think it is really true. We often hear we don't need as much as we think we do, but yeah. I think it really, really does come down to how much you personally are assimilating and what type of protein works for you. But I, I also think that the clean fast and autophagy and the recycling of the proteins in your body is a little bit of a, a game changer versus somebody who's eating the traditional, you know, approach, you know, three meals a day and snacks. Because if you're if you're eating a traditional, you know, six small meals a day, you're not having increased autophagy. So your body's not recycling the protein you already have. So I, th- I think that that makes a difference there. I would see how it goes, Dominique, because you may find that you're able to you know, just eat the, the foods that you enjoy in, in your eating window and make sure to include protein every day, but not have to, you know, over stress about it. You may find that it's going to work just fine for you. I would try it and see. You know, sometimes we worry about things and then they don't come to come to pass. I feel like protein and water are like <laughs> two of the main things in our food choices that our body is pretty good at regulating our our hunger for or our appetite for without having to worry too much about, you know, like addiction or over, over wanting it or things like that. Yep. 
All right, ready for the next question? All right, so we have two questions and they are sort of similar. And the first question comes from Scott and the subject is exercise window, question mark. And Scott says, hello, I'm really enjoying how down to earth the intermittent fasting podcast is. I was wondering if you had any insight into exercising about an hour after your last meal to get back into a fasted state quicker and help lower appetite during the fast. Somewhere along my podcast exploring, I heard this or I heard this idea probably from, and he says Mark Stenson. I think he probably means Mark Sisson. That's what I thought. Probably. Yeah. He says, thanks for any information you might have and keep up the great work. Then we have a question from Nikki. The subject is exercise and accessing fat stores. Nikki says, hi, ladies. I'm thankful for your podcast and I've learned so much from listening to the two of you. I'm also in both Facebook groups, which has a lot of good conversation. I know that neither of you are big gym goers and prefer to include exercise naturally in your day, but I was wondering something when it comes to dedicated exercise and working out. I understand that it is best to get your exercise in while fasted, so you are more likely to tap into your fat stores during that workout. I tend to fast for 20 to 21 hours a day and do the one meal a day in the late afternoon or evening. However, I am an elementary school counselor and tend to not have time to exercise before I have to pick up my own elementary age children and usually have to exercise after dinner. I'm curious if working out in the evening after your eating window closes will allow you to get through your glycogen stores quicker and get to the fat burning state quicker. For example, if you stopped eating at 5.30 p.m. and didn't do any exercise that evening, went to bed, and got up for the day, you might be switching to fat burning instead of glycogen at 6.30 a.m. I'm just throwing out random times. I know we can't know the amount of hours or time. But what if you stopped eating at 5.30 p.m., had a good 45-minute workout that used a lot of energy that evening? That workout is using glycogen for energy and will be using it more quickly than if you were sitting on your couch. So in theory, would that allow you to access your fat stores much sooner, for example, around 2.30 a.m.? This seems like an obvious question and answer, but I've read different things about burning calories, using energy, and food digestion that I just wanted to be sure of what you two thought about this. Thanks so much. Congrats on your retirement from the school system, Jen. Jen, this was a little bit a while ago. I'm in Kentucky and have 20 years to go. Ha ha ha. Hey, I'll take I'll take all the congratulations I can get because I'm still so glad I made that decision. <laughs> I um I'm so happy to to be doing this other part of my life. I loved my kids. I loved them. I actually talked to my replacement yesterday, Melanie. She she called me. She had some questions about some of the things I left behind in my classroom, so she called me. And it was great to talk to her about the kids, and I asked about you know a bunch of them, and it was great to hear about them, and I miss them a lot, but oh, I don't miss <laughs> bus duty and the cold weather and problems. It was such a good decision. I mean, I feel like such a free person. So thank you so very much on the congratulations, Nikki. Um, and 20 years from now, you'll be feeling the same way. <laughs> Um, we get we get questions a lot about when is the best time to exercise, and people always really want to know what's going on in their bodies. Like, what am I burning right now? And, you know, we burn the food we eat, we burn the glycogen, we burn our fat, and here's what I like to think about it. It's like, it doesn't matter what tank it's coming out of, you're burning it. So you're going to go from one tank to the other tank, and of course, I'm speaking in a huge, you know, generality here. So... 
I, I don't tend to think that it really matters. And even if it does, let's say even if it, it does matter, let's say that you really are going to get like so much more benefit working out on the fastest day. I mean, I'm not saying that's true, but let's say it were. But that time of day doesn't work well for you, so you're not going to exercise at all? No. Exercise when it is convenient for you. That is the gen tip of the day, whether that is in the fasted state. You know, personally, I would exercise in the fasted state if I had the time to do that. Just because of the way I feel in the fasted state, I feel great. I feel like I have more energy. I feel like I could do a bunch of things. I don't think I would feel well exercising after I ate. But if that were the only time I had and it worked well for me, that's what I would do. So I would encourage everybody not to, to worry about that so much and and think about, you know, what, what am I tapping into right now? Maybe you're, you know, burning the food from your last meal or your glycogen stores or your fat or whatever, but it really doesn't matter because you're going to be using that energy eventually. So that's that's the gen comment. Exercise when it feels right to you. And don't worry so much about about what's happening. Because, yeah, it's true. You probably, just like, um, like Nikki hypothesized, you might get into the, the fasted state sooner if you exercise, you know, right after you ate. But if you exercise during the fasted state, you're tapping into your fat right then. So it's, it's kind of like, you know, half dozen of one, half, what's the saying? I, I think I just mangled that saying. It's like two things that come out to be the same thing. Exactly. Right. I would just not worry about it. I mean, I really like identify the identify with these questions and that I do the same thing as Jen and listeners know. I like want to know exactly what's doing what and where it's coming from and what the science is. But I actually I agree with you completely, Jen, that this is something like we we just it's really complicated. We just don't know exactly where it's coming from, but we know what we're able to do and we know when what we're doing creates the results that we like. So I think this is something that it should go more about what you like doing, what you see benefits you the most, rather than worrying about how it's affecting when you enter the fasted state or what, you know, what fuel source it's coming from. Um, I, I do think in general, fasted workouts are better for body composition in general, just because you're in the fat burning state, your body is ready to do physical activity because it's not burdened with digestion. So it's not like you're taking away from your body's focus on dig- digesting food. Instead, you know, all of your resources can go towards that physical activity. And then we've talked in the past about all the benefits of fasted exercise, like um, you're going to get better new uh, you're going to get a better response when you eat afterwards as far as like muscle growth and things like that and then especially for like stubborn fat fasted exercise is great because it really forces you to tap into fat stores that you might not otherwise have access because you would just be running more on your your car- your stored carbohydrates as glycogen but again as far as like the timing i mean if you are the type of person that you eat and then you work out after and that does make you, you know, less hungry the next day or does make you feel like you get into the quote fasted state sooner. If that feels better for you, then yeah, then do that. It's not a super scientific detailed answer, but I think it is something that just really does need to be intuitive. Um, I, I actually encourage people more to focus on if they're, if you're wanting to answer this question of, 
what fuel substrate are you tapping into. I almost think it's more important maybe to focus on the composition of what you're eating in your eating window than um, the timing of the exercise because that's more going to determine what your longer-term go-to energy bank is. People are on, for example, a a lower-carb, higher-fat diet, then in general they're going to be in more of a fat burning state constantly whereas people on you know a higher carb diet might be you know and it's a choice but more preference more preferentially fueling themselves with glucose Um, and that is definitely going to determine where those fuel substrates are coming from so you can tweak it you know through dietary choices in addition to the timing i really just want to reiterate that we can drive ourselves crazy trying to find the perfect time for, for any of this. Like, what is the scientifically perfect time for the eating window based on research? What is the scientifically perfect time for exercise based on the research? When really, you just have to figure out how to fit it into your life. And I could see a lot of people getting paralyzed by the idea of, well, I missed the perfect time. I might as well just not even do it. And that is such terrible thinking. So... I would just encourage you to make it fit your life, live your life, and and don't sweat the small stuff. And it also reminds me, I talked in the beginning about that Atomic Habits book, and um, he talks a lot about how people get so overwhelmed with like these big goals, and you know they want to change all this, all these big things. When he calls it Atomic Habits, because he thinks the big, the big atomic changes come from like the small little things that you actually do each day, like tiny little things that add up to this big thing. Like we were just discussing, it's more about what you're actually going to do. So if you can actually do that exercise more frequently and the and the the pattern that works for you, I think that's way more important than stressing about the timing of things. Yep. I agree. All right. We have time for one more question and this is from Heather. And the subject is fruits and veggies. Heather says, hi, ladies. First off, love your podcast. Thanks for all the information, great ideas, and thorough answers. My question is around servings of fruits and veggies. I've always been told three to five servings per day of fruits and veggies. With only eating one meal a day, I definitely can't achieve that. Any suggestions on a good-tasting green drink mix or smoothie mix to help ensure I'm getting the correct servings slash nutrients from my body? Thanks much. So hi, Heather. Thanks so much for your question. This was really good timing for this question. I didn't really anticipate this, but it kind of really relates to everything we just talked about <laughs> as far as like, if you know, counting and specific numbers and specific goals versus intuition and what, what your body actually truly needs um, and the bigger picture of things. So yes, there are, you know, it's said that we need three to five servings per day of fruits and veggies, but it's not even really about that. You know, it's it's about the nutrients that your body needs and those recommendations were created I, I think in the hopes that by doing that people would get those nutrients. But for example, you might eat 3 to 5 servings of you could eat 3 to 5 servings of a certain fruit or vegetable that doesn't necessarily even have the nutrients that your body needs at that moment or you might eat one serving of a fruit or vegetable that your body does really need. And in the long run, maybe that was more important. You know, like it's more about what you need than a number. Right. And also what you assimilate. So like if you can't really, we talked about this before, if you can't really digest a certain fruit or vegetable well, 
won't even ma- won't matter if you eat like a pound of it if you're not digesting it well. Um, so it's really about yeah, getting the nutrition that your body needs. And with with intermittent fasting, we find that our body signals become much more reliable. I think, and when we eat, and we can really tell more like what we do need at any certain time. Um, so Heather, I encourage you t- to eat the fruits and vegetables that appeal to you. And this will be easier if you are slowly cutting out, you know, the processed foods that might be kind of messing with our signals, um, and becoming more intuitive with eating. But rather than stressing about a certain number or eat or, or, or getting like bloated from eating too many fruits or vegetables, eat the ones that feel the best in your system, the ones that you are looking forward to. I have done a lot of research on like organic practices versus conventional practices on fruits and vegetables. And in general, the organic produce is actually typically going to have more nutrients that has to do with soil depletion um, of minerals and things like that. And organic ones typically have more. And then also conventional produce, a lot of the pesticides and herbicides and things like that can actually interfere with the, the nutritional levels of the fruits and vegetables. So I would encourage you to go that route. I'm actually not a huge fan myself of like smoothies and things like that just because I find that they often end up being really refined forms of food that end up being more sugar than nutrients per se. Um, That said, there are a lot of really good green supplements that you can get. I think if you want to go a supplemental route, like green powders, I actually would. I do think that those can be really helpful. Um, so I'll put links in the show notes to some of the ones that I recommend. So if you go to iofpodcast.com slash episode 86, I'll put links there. So it's not going to be for smoothies <laughs> per se, but it'll be for some greens, powders, and stuff like that that I think can actually be really good for making sure that you cover your minerals because I think a big problem a lot of people do have today is mineral deficiencies, and that is because of our depleted soils, our like the conventional farming methods, and just our current diet. So it's really important that we get those those nutrients and get those minerals. So that's a way that you could do that. Jen, do you have thoughts on this? Well, I always think back, and I think I've talked about this before on the podcast, but I think back to when my kids were toddlers and, and you know, I was reading all the books about how to feed your toddlers and, you know, what to feed your kids. And you always talk to the doctor and you're like, help my child, you know, how do I know they're getting the adequate nutrition? And the rule of thumb was we don't need every nutrient every day. It's the overall pattern of of what we eat over time that matters the most. And so, you know, you could watch your toddlers eat nothing but, you know, raisins for a couple days. (laughs) And then then they move on to something else. Now they're eating bananas or whatever. And so we, we were told, you know, let your toddler eat a variety of foods over time instead of trying to make sure they have every little thing every single day. So I'd, I'd take that advice to apply to us as well. You know, think back to our bodies and how we were designed. We did not have it, you know, in, in our history, our, I mean, our historic, um, you know, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 5,000 years ago, how far back you want to go, we didn't have access to grocery stores with, you know, in-season fruits and vegetables all year long. And, of course, I know 5,000 years ago we didn't have the good health we have now, I'm sure, but still our bodies were not designed to be so fragile that we couldn't get through, you know, different seasons of the year without having all the foods right there. So don't feel like you have to get it all in every single day. Eat nutritious foods, eat a variety of foods over time, eat what makes you feel good, and and I think you'll you'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah, I think a I think a key 
is that it's it's about what you're getting and when your body needs it rather than an amount per se. Right. So, but I will put links to some of the green powders that um, if you just want to ensure that you're getting like a broad range of minerals and nutrients that are that are found specifically typically in like vegetables and things like that, I'll put I'll put links to that. All Sounds right. good. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. So a few things for listeners before we go. Like I said, the show notes will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 86. And if you'd like to submit your own questions for the podcast, there are a few ways you can do that. You can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com. You can also go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. Also, if you're in iTunes, definitely subscribe to our podcast. Subscribe, 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 subscribe. Then you'll get the episodes downloaded automatically each and every week. You won't even have to do anything. And um, you can follow us on Instagram. We are ifpodcast. And you can follow us on Twitter. We are the ifpod. And you can also help support our podcast and help make it further possible if you go to patreon.com slash ifpodcast. We have a lot of fun like incentives there, um, shout outs on our website, getting your questions featured on the podcast and things like that. So definitely check that out. And yes, I think that's all the things. Anything, anything else from you, Jen, before we go? Nope. I think we had some great questions today as usual. I think I say that every time. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I agree, though. Yeah. Someday we'll have an episode we'll be like that. We didn't have good questions. Today, the questions were awful, and I'm sorry you had to listen. No. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's not that. that We have so many questions that I feel like that's not even possible. And they're all really wonderful. I wish we could answer all of them. That would take a while. Oh, yeah. We would be on, like, for the rest of our lives. I know. (laughs) Oh, man. All right. Well, I will talk to you next week. All right. Talk to you then. Bye. Okay. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, the opinions we discussed on this show do not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. Check out ifpodcast.com for more information on us. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.